Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week on the Pro Wrestling Index, the road to WrestleMania is officially underway. We recap WWE Fastlane. Talk about the dramatic surprise return of Shane McMahon. Triple H absolutely destroys Roman Reigns. The beast incarnate Brock Lesnar will now face Dean Ambrose at WrestleMania. We recap all that, plus your Twitter questions, and a new WWE Hall of Fame induction has been announced. All that and so much more this week on an extended edition of the Pro Wrestling Index. Another edition of the Pro Wrestling Index, only on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Topolsky. And my goodness, have we got a show this week for all of the listeners. The most social media activity in the history of this little podcast has come on the heels of what happened on Monday Night Raw this week, which we will dissect during the show. Joining me, as always, is my co-commentating colleague from across the pond, the expert analyst, Mo Chatra. Mo, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing superb, Matt. Uh, I'm just a little bit exhausted and uh, feeling a bit, uh, well, overwhelmed by what I've been seeing over the last couple of days from the WWE. Quite, uh, quite eventful, to say the least. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot to talk about. Yes, it's a, uh, depending on your perspective, it's either a fun or a very interesting time to be a fan of sports entertainment um we've got a big show scheduled and we hope everybody enjoys we are going to be recapping fast lane on the program this week wwe fast lane we will be discussing monday night raw and everything that went down there uh, in addition to that we will be taking your twitter and social media questions mo chatra presenting his number five on the list of best wrestlemania matches of all time and a few other things and topics to cover as well. So, Mo, let's get right into it. Let's talk about uh, WWE Fastlane. I've already made my opinions pretty well known on social media (laughs) and on my other podcast with Brad Gilmore. But um, we're going to break down this card, and we're going to see if you feel differently than I felt about Fastlane because um, I thought this was one of the worst shows I've seen in recent memory from, from WWE. Maybe not recent memory, maybe long memory. Um, 
But uh, we'll see. We'll see where you disagree with me, or or perhaps you'll agree with me. We'll start with Kalisto versus Alberto Del Rio. They opened this event on the pre-show. It was a best two out of three falls match with the United States Championship up for grabs. The match went went roughly 15 minutes and concluded with Kalisto getting the victory in this one. Um, what do you think about this? Good news for Kalisto and uh, good news for the United States Championship? Um, definitely good news for Kalisto and um, possibly good news for the US Championship. I thought that Alberto Del Rio would regain the title. Um, that was my prediction prior to the show. Um, so I was slightly surprised that Kalisto uh, retained it. Um, and I think it perhaps suggested that the WWE really doesn't see anything in Alberto Del Rio any longer where the main event picture is concerned because the fact that he lost clean to Kalisto for the US title um, is pretty damning in terms of um, his position on the pecking order. And uh, when he first came back to the WWE, um, you know, we talked about, you know, whether he could potentially... Um, move into the main event echelon and um, replicate some of the work he'd been doing in other promotions such as Lucha Underground where he did come across like a really big deal um, and certainly pairing him straight away with Zeb Coulter seemed to suggest they didn't really have lofty ambitions for him and since that time um, he's really been utilised quite poorly and uh that culminated in um, losing to Kalisto, and it seemed to be the end of that uh, mini-program between those two, um, and Alberto Del Rio will just become another guy to make up the numbers in the League of Nations uh, to feud with the New Day. Um, so great for Kalisto, not so great for Alberto Del Rio. Yeah, I mean, the fall from grace for Del Rio's character is um, it's disappointing for me personally, because I'm a big fan of Alberto Del Rio. I'm a fan of what Del Rio brings to the table. And um, he's just not been utilized properly by WWE. From the moment that they brought Alberto Del Rio in, they were using him all wrong, partnering him with Zeb Coulter. Uh, now, I know some will argue, well, he beat John Cena, and he and he did it in, in rather convincing fashion. But um, what has it done for him since? I mean, it's done absolutely nothing. That that victory over Cena did nothing for him. Uh, being partnered with Zeb Coulter did nothing for him. And now being in the League of Nations is doing nothing for him. He's playing a bit part in a mid-card stable with other guys who are struggling to get over themselves, one of which being Wade Barrett, where speculation continues to circle as to whether or not he'll even remain with the company. So, you know, it's really disappointing because... WWE finds itself in a position with WrestleMania upcoming where, in Vince McMahon's own words on the investor call, they have to get, quote, creative, end quote, to deal with the injury issues and to make WrestleMania compelling. Alberto Del Rio, when he returned to WWE, was a ready-made star. He was a former WWE World Heavyweight Champion. So how they could blunder the handling of Del Rio the way they have and basically taken a ready-made star and made him a lower mid-carder almost by accident and with, with yo-yo and poor booking uh, just goes to show you the systemic problems that continue behind the scenes at World Wrestling Entertainment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
it's almost more of an effort to um, make him come across like just another guy um, than it is to make him come across like a, a, a true superstar. Um, you know, he, he looks like a superstar. He can work like a superstar. And yet, um, if you watch him at the moment, he's just another guy on the roster who most fans don't care about because um, he's been booked so poorly. And uh, WWE has really got to accept uh, a lot of the blame for that. And I feel for the guy because, you know, he came back really eager to um, reestablish himself within the company. And, uh, you know, the creative team have just uh, let him down big time. Yeah. And, I mean, they've they've given the fans no reason to, to care. And, mm. yeah, and so that's uh, kind of... The White family. We'll get to them in a minute. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So next up on the card, Team Bad. I guess the new Team Bad, Naomi and Tamina versus Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks. This is a tag team match. And my God, did this thing run too long? Ten minutes for for these four. Uh, your, your takeaway from this match? Did you did you enjoy it? Other than seeing Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch in there, I mean, did you enjoy this thing? It wasn't the greatest match in the world, was it? <laughs> it was uh, quite poor earlier on, especially. Um, Tamina really shouldn't be on the WWE main roster. Um, there's plenty of girls on the NXT roster that are far better than her. Um, and at the age she is as well, um, she really has nothing to offer. She's got no personality, can't cut promos, can't really work. I just don't understand why she's there. It just baffles me. Um, Naomi's very athletic. Um, I think she's actually underrated as a talent. Um, I hear she's very good. And um, she's another one who's really not utilized as best as she can be. Um, but the match, the match itself really wasn't that great. Um, it finished on a high, though. The, good, the finish was good. Uh, they had the double submissions, and um, certainly that seemed to be a bit of a tease for um, the coming weeks leading up to WrestleMania when one or both of Becky and Sasha um, could be wrestling against Charlotte for the Divas title come WrestleMania. So um sets things up for an interesting run for that um, title and for those three individuals. Um, so that so that was that was good. Okay, let's move on and talk about Kevin Owens versus Dolph Ziggler. The WWE Intercontinental Championship was up for grabs. This match ran 15 minutes, again, way too long to watch Kevin Owens take on a Shawn Michaels ripoff. And unfortunately, and I know some people are going to be upset when I say that, but that is exactly what Dolph Ziggler has become. The fact of the matter is this guy is wearing WrestleMania 14 boots, uh, has his hair braided like Shawn Michaels. I mean, for God's sake, why don't you just change your name to Shawn Michaels? Uh, Dolph Ziggler is in a position in his career where if he wants to move back into the upper mid-card and main event stature, he has to reinvent himself, and this is not the way to do it. What do you say? Yeah, Dolph just baffles me. He's another one. Um, you know, a few weeks ago on uh, Raw SmackDown, he came out with hair like um, one of the band members from Van Halen. Um, he looked absolutely hideous. Um, I don't know what he was thinking um, with the kind of hairdo he had. And some of his attire as well, I've, I've criticized it on this podcast, um, you know, really um, out of touch with 2016. Um you know, but that that side, I mean, he's 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 a very talented worker and can have a great match with anyone. 
And I had high hopes for this match. I thought Ziggler and Owens should be a fantastic uh, match, and I actually expected it to open the show. Um, I thought it was slightly underwhelming. Um, I still thought it was a, a good match, um, but not quite as good as it should have been. Um, I agree with you. It was a bit too long, uh, perhaps 10 to 12 minutes, um, a bit more all-action match run, um, having um, that kind of slower start uh, would perhaps have been the better way to book the match. Um, but I thought the result was the right one. Um, Kevin Owens does need some momentum. He's been yo-yoing um, in terms of his uh, momentum, and he needs to be built up a bit more. So it was good to see him go over. Uh, the match was good, not great. And um, Ziggler needs to think about exactly what he wants to be and um, what his gimmick is because uh, it's um, almost changing on a weekly basis in terms of his look and appearance and his working style. Um, so he needs to think about that because uh, there's, there's a talented worker there, uh, but he's another one who's lost in the shuffle. You know, something, there was a time where uh, I, like many people, were very high on Dolph Ziggler and questioned the motivations of WWE and, and, and asked the question, what, what about Dolph Ziggler is not connecting with the brass in WWE? What about Dolph Ziggler is preventing Dolph Ziggler from being a full-time main eventer? And it's now dawned on me, it's now come to me what, um, what some of those things are. Um, number one, Dolph Ziggler is a victim of his own success in that he's one of the best sellers I've ever seen in the business. He's so good, in fact, that he's actually sold himself into a position where that's what he's going to do now for the rest of his career. He's going to be a seller for everybody. And um, so that that right there is, is problem number one for Dolph Ziggler. Problem number two for Dolph Ziggler is he's not inventive enough. Uh, he was compared very early on in his career, once he broke out as a singles competitor, to Shawn Michaels. Well, he took that, he ran with it, and he never got away from it. And so that was a big problem. Number three, Dolph Ziggler simply can't cut a promo. And that just isn't going to help him either. So those are the three issues for me that say Ziggler's uh, stock is definitely headed to the bottom and I wouldn't be surprised if you see Dolph Ziggler join a group like the Social Outcasts, to be quite honest, because I don't know <laughs> what else they're going to do with him at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're running out of ideas. I mean, they've had the world title on him. They've had the U.S. title, IC title. Um, I think he's been tag champs in the past, perhaps, as well. Um, there's probably very little they can do with him in terms of uh, prominent spots. The only real thing they can do is to use him to elevate younger talents as they come in. Um, but even then, um, fans will stop caring about that. And um, younger t talents, when they come through from NXT, a win over Dolph Ziggler, uh, maybe a year or two down the line, will mean virtually nothing. So it could be that we're seeing um, the kind of closing stretch of Dolph Ziggler's WWE career, um, which should be a bit surprising to some. Um, but WWE needs to have this turnover of talent. They can't have the same faces year in, year out. And um, Dolph is one of these that has been around for ooh, close to 10 years now. I mean, if you remember back to um, when he started out with the Spirit Squad and even before then, um, you know, it's been a long time since um, he came into the company. So uh, WWE may be thinking, right, he's in his mid-30s. We've um, had our best um, of Dolph Ziggler, and um, it's all downhill from here. So 
perhaps a year or two more, and then they'll cut him loose. Um, so that that won't be great for Dolph, but you know that that's the nature of the wrestling uh, wrestling business. I'm afraid. Quick question about Dolph Ziggler before um, before we move on. Uh, and by the way, Kevin Owens, we're not giving him enough props. We'll talk about Kevin Owens a little bit later in the show. But uh, great spot for him to be in right now as a two-time Intercontinental Champion. And uh, I think he's heading into WrestleMania looking very strong. Um, but let's talk about Dolph Ziggler real quick because I have this question. And this question has been directed at me by several other people. So I want to direct it to you and see what you think. Dolph Ziggler was rated as number nine on the top 500 singles wrestlers in 2013 by Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Dolph Ziggler is a former two-time World Heavyweight Champion, a former four-time Intercontinental Champion, a former United States Champion, a former World Tag Team Champion, and a former Money in the Bank winner. If Dolph Ziggler's career ended tomorrow, would he be a Hall of Famer? No. Definitely not. No, no. Um... Even when he has been the world champion, um, he's still been a mid-carder. Um, I think the first time he held the title, was it not for a day or two or a week? Um, I know, I remember it being a very, very short reign. Um, the second time he won it, um, which was that very memorable night, um, when he cashed in his money in the bank, um, a great, great moment. For sure, but um, again, it was a title reign that didn't last all that long, and it was very clear that the company had no intentions of um, turning him into a bona fide main eventer. Um, he was somebody who, as a worker, um, was never. Uh, I'm talking about it almost in the past tense, as if he's uh, no longer a wrestler. Um, I mean, so I mean, turning into present tense. Then, sorry. Uh, yes, I mean, as a worker, he is somebody who, at times, has been really, really good, but never world class, never exceptional. Not a Seth Rollins level worker, not a Shawn Michaels level worker, or a Ric Flair level worker. Um, as a draw. He's meant nothing. Um, he's never been a draw. So for me, he's not a Hall of Famer. But then again, um, as we'll perhaps come on to later in the show, um, there have been plenty of people inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame who you could certainly argue have achieved far less in the business, and yet they've still um, somehow got that um, Hall of Fame ring. So yeah. whilst um, in... The traditional sense of what a Hall of Fame uh, performer is, I certainly wouldn't categorize Dolph Ziggler in that regard. Given the people that are in the WWE Hall of Fame, it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility that he will be inducted into that Hall of Fame at some point in the future. Interesting. Well, we'll get to that other Hall of Famer a little bit later on uh, in the show. Okay, next matchup. This is my favorite match of the night, Mo. (laughs) No way. (laughs) <laughs> the Big Show, Kane and Ryback, or as 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 The Rock uh, once referred to him as, the Big Slow versus uh, the Wyatt family, Luke Harper, Eric Rowan, and Braun Strowman, with Bray Wyatt sitting on the outside doing nothing during this whole match. Uh, I have the exact time in front of me here. This match took 10 minutes and 37 seconds, making it approximately 10 minutes and 36 seconds too long. What did you think of this match? This was the match I was dreading uh, prior to the show. <laughs> I mean, I really was. Me I tweeted too. something like, um, uh, 
Yeah, I just really was not in the least bit interested in this whatsoever. Um, but I gave it a chance. I said, okay, um, I'm expecting it to be horrendous and awful and boring, uh, but let's just give it a try. I watched it and I was actually pleasantly surprised. I actually thought it was not a bad match. Uh, it certainly wasn't You're a great kidding match. Me. It, it was, it, it was a match that moved along. It had, it was a match that wasn't At slow. What pace? <laughs> What pace did it move along? Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, it, it didn't have any five-minute rest holes or anything like that. It was um, a typical WWE multi-man match where guys were coming in and out, working their spots, and then moving out for the next guy, and then they were coming in and doing their thing. And um, it moved along, and um, Ryback um, you know, uh, showed some athleticism. Big Show left his feet uh, with that. Um, I suppose you can describe it as a spear on the outside of the ring. And um, that gorilla press, that wasn't really a gorilla press. Um, but I thought they all tried hard. And um, as I say, it wasn't a great match or even a good match. But it certainly, from my perspective, it wasn't a bad match. It wasn't one where um, they were fumbling moves left and right. And, um, you know, it had a decent finish as well. So I, I, I thought it was okay. Were you were you surprised by the finish to this match? Were you surprised that the the Wyatts uh, did the honors in this thing? Yes, I was. Um, I expected the Wyatts to go over. I saw no purpose in Show Kane or Ryback going over in this one, and um, it really again just pointed towards the lack of um, stability around uh, creative and their kind of. Um, approach to booking in that at one point in time um, the likes of the Whites can be put over really strong um, as if they are a, an important and integral part of the roster and then a few weeks later they can be jobbed out to um, three guys that again the vast majority of the audience really cares very very little about um, so it just leaves fans thinking well why should we emotionally invest ourselves in the likes of the Wyatt family when um, one minute they're doing well and the next minute they're being jobbed out and you know you've got to look at it from the perspective of casual fans and casual fans um, you know do um, take things like wins and losses seriously I mean I've got uh, two boys and um, when uh, Roman Reigns was going on a streak of losing big matches, um, they were actually going off of Roman Reigns because they thought every time he's in a big match, he always um, falls short, he never wins, and he never wins the WWE title. So why should we uh, root for this guy? And I think a lot of casual fans look in the same way. And um, with this kind of yo-yo parity booking where one guy gets to win one week and then the opponent gets the win the next week, um, nobody really gets over. Um, you've got to have certain people that just um, have to get the majority of wins and conversely, um, others that lose more often than not. And um, these days we see a lot of guys who trade wins and trade losses. And uh, by doing that, nobody really stands out. Yeah, I think a lot of that's due to the overexposure too. But that is an extra—that's an excellent point that you bring up about your boys. Uh, one thing about children and wrestling fans, I think that they have in common because you know 
the children wrestling fans and adult wrestling fans don't have a lot in common, but one thing that they all have in common is that they're all very perceptive. And, um, mm. and I think that's, um, that's something that WWE needs to keep in mind when they continue to overexpose talents the way they do, because you see talents working TV now more than they ever have in the past. And because of that, there's go, they inevitably are going to have to lose more on television than they ever would before. And I think that, that hurts. That on top of the yo-yo booking, that on top of the fact that the product hasn't been booked well, recently to begin with, uh, all puts uh, these guys at a disadvantage. One thing that stood out to me before we move on from this match, and uh, and it was later revealed the next night on Monday Night Raw, is it appears now as if this six-man tag match really wasn't about the Wyatts at all. It's about Ryback, in my mind anyway. You know, Ryback's reinvented himself recently. Ryback's gone with a new look. He's got the new the new trunks, and Ryback is now turning heel. Um, and with it, I was of the opinion that because this was going to be Mark Henry's last rodeo, that ultimately Mark Henry was going to be the winner of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania. Now I think there's a good possibility that could end up being Ryback. I think the company is looking at Ryback and saying, we're going to give this guy a big push after WrestleMania as a uh, an upper card or even main event heel. What do you think? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Ryback is clearly somebody who's being taken in a different route. Um, and, uh, certainly there were seeds planted around that heel turn. And given that it would make sense for them to uh, make him a more prominent part of the roster. And I think it's well deserved. I think that he's another guy who is actually underrated. Um, you know, sure, he's, he's certainly not a Seth Rollins level worker by any means, but, um, he, he's, he knows his limitations. He works around them. He makes the most of what he has. And, um, as a promo and a personality, um, I think he has a lot to offer. And the WWE at this time is desperately short of strong heels. And, um, having a monster heel in somebody like Ryback, um, would be, would be a good thing to do. And perhaps can fill that void that, um, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Seamus, um, filled quite effectively some five, six years ago when, uh, before he had that silly mohawk and that weird beard, um, you know, he was that kind of monster, no nonsense heel, um, that used to really, ru- you know, run roughshod over opponents and Ryback can be that guy. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm quite looking forward to seeing them do something different and something more interesting with him, uh, post WrestleMania. And I hope that they protect him as well as they do this. I hope they do it properly because I haven't been that high on Ryback in the past, but I have to give Ryback credit. He has reinvented himself. Um, he's worked on his body. He has worked on his promo. Uh, his in, his in-ring work has improved, not vastly, but enough that you can definitely tell that he is trying to continue to develop his character. And if they do protect him properly, I could see a match down the road between him and Brock Lesnar that might draw some money. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, he's a a guy that's almost as big as Brock, and um, you know, certainly almost as strong as 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 Brock Lesnar as well. And um, if they book him right, then he can be seen as a viable opponent for Brock Lesnar, um, perhaps for later this year. Um, But you know, that 
key thing there is that they have to be booked right and history tells us that um, more often than not the booking team um, certainly doesn't know how to book people effectively um, so I hope they prove me wrong and I hope they do um, effectively book him and get him over as a serious um, main event heel Last point before we move on from this match. What's next for the Wyatt family in your mind? Because there is a lot of uncertainty surrounding Bray Wyatt and the members of the Wyatt family now. Indeed. I mean, it was um, a point of discussion in recent weeks about whether Bray Wyatt would be the opponent for The Undertaker. And um, certainly some of the stuff we were seeing a couple of months ago was teasing that that could be... um, um, something that a direction that sorry um, a direction that they could go with for Brock Lesnar I should say um, clearly that idea has fallen by the wayside um, as you saw the next night on Raw and um, I suspect that uh, the White family will be uh, featuring in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at best and um, You know, this is perhaps the one gimmick which I think has really suffered from um, the PG era because this this gimmick, um, you know, certainly is inspired by um, the movie The Deliverance and um, a lot of the kind of cool stuff they can do um, is just not suitable for PG audiences. Um, If they really wanted to be creative in terms of this group and um, some of the kind of vignettes they can film, some of the angles they could shoot. But um, they're restricted. So all we get to hear about is, okay, these guys are creepy, but we never actually see um, the really, really creepy side of them. And, um, you know, they perhaps feel that that's not suitable for, um, you know, the the younger audiences. So, you know, I think they're a victim to that. And... um, as a result, you know, they can only come out there and try and look scary without acting scary and doing scary things. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. All right, well, let's move on and talk about something that is suitable for all audiences, and that's Bree Mode. Um, <laughs> the WWE Divas Championship was up for grabs, and uh, Charlotte came out with uh, with Daddy, with Daddy Flair once again, looking more and more deranged every time he's at ringside with her. I mean, I understand that um, Rick is probably really enjoying the fact that he's getting this moment with his daughter and he's getting to spend time with her uh, at ringside while she develops her career and blossoms into a WWE superstar and diva. Uh, but at the same time, he uh, to, to me, he's taking away from what she can bring to the table. Um, this was not really a great match in my estimation. I have to say, however, it was one of Brie Bella's best matches that I've seen in singles competition until they botched the finish. Uh, what say you about what we saw here? Again, I disagree. I actually thought this was a good match. Um, and possibly Charlotte's, um, best match in the WWE on the main roster. Um, wow. Again, it was a long match. Um, it must have been, what, 12, 13, 14 minutes? One of our streams was messed up. I don't know whose it was. I have a feeling it was yours, but this match <laughs> this match was 12 and a half minutes. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a match where, again, it was a slow burner in that um, you know, it wasn't all action to begin with, um, but it built up quite well. And um, towards the end, um, you know, the crowd was certainly into it. And Charlotte came through with the figure eight. And I liked it because Charlotte 
really seemed to come out of her shell and was really looking comfortable in the role of the main event, sorry, the kind of heel female champion. And uh, one of the things that we talked about on the pod um, a few months ago was lack of personality we were seeing from Charlotte. And I thought we saw personality um, in abundance from her. And she really came across strongly as heel. But I do have to agree with you, though, that um, when Rick is out there, he does completely overshadow her. And um, you can even see it when they walk to the ring, uh, when the two of them are together. Everyone is looking at Rick. Nobody's looking at Charlotte. And, you know, Charlotte's a very, you know, uh, good-looking girl. And, um, you know, she's uh, besides one of the all-time legends of the business. And um, his star power significantly... uh, uh, is greater than Charlotte's at this moment in time. So, you know, that that's um, not so great for her, but at least uh, it gives a perception um, to audiences that, oh, this, this talent that's coming out there is over because there's this reaction. It's just that the reaction is more for the person that's walking behind her or beside her than for the talent herself. Um, but, yeah, I actually like this match. Um, so, again, I'd have to disagree. Um, and I thought Brie actually uh, did quite well, like the forearm, uh, like some of her other offense, uh, looked quite um, versatile in how she worked. And um, it's almost a shame in a way that uh, just as she's starting to look like a, a pretty decent worker, um, the word is that you know she's looking to retire uh, come the summer. So that's a shame. Yeah, well, it's time for some Brie Mode babies. And I think that's... Um that's why she's going to ride off into the sunset. I mean, goat faced ones at that as well. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be goat faced Brie mode babies. And uh, I got to say, I mean, like, I, I felt bad for Daniel Bryan a few weeks ago when he was giving that speech. I don't feel bad for him any longer because, uh, I mean, he gets to come home to Brie Bella. My God. I mean, and try and make babies with her. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to slap her in the yes lock over and over and over again. It's going to be just, <laughs> it's gonna be very special. Um, next up, AJ Styles, the phenomenal one versus Y2J, Chris Jericho. This, the third match, the rubber match in their series. What'd you think, Mo? The, the, let me, let me, let me preface this by saying this before, before I get to your thoughts. So everybody on my social media timeline, everybody on my Twitter timeline, they were going nuts. You know, and I get it. Like, just like the first time that I saw we're going to have AJ Styles and Chris Jericho on Monday Night Raw. It it was a huge moment. I mean, it's a huge markout moment. It's one of those matches that you never think is going to happen. Because we never thought AJ Styles would be in WWE, let alone AJ Styles wrestling Chris Jericho in WWE. But I just didn't think that the praise and accolades that this match received at Fastlane were deserving. I thought up until this point it was the best match of the night. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination it was a five-star match or even a four out of five. Do you disagree with me? No, I don't. No, I agree completely. Um, I thought it was a good match. but They're was... capable of more. Oh, God, yes, yes. Um, it was well short of expectations. Um, and I have to blame Jericho for this because I think this is where we saw that uh, Jericho isn't quite the worker he used to be um, some 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, Jericho is 
certainly heavier than he used to be. And you know, I've made a few um, kind of barbed comments about that in, in recent weeks on the pod. And, um, you know, we saw that with some of the spots in the match where um, some of the stuff they were doing was actually quite clumsy looking. And, you know, I've, I've watched AJ for a long, long time as a view, Matt. And, you know, AJ's, you know, a very crisp, very smooth worker. And I normally don't see that kind of stuff in AJ's matches, uh, whereas Jericho is a part-time worker and has been for a number of years. And on top of that, he's carrying excess weight. And um, I think that was part of the reason why um, this match felt a bit sloppy. Um, you know, there were a couple of times in the match where, um, you know, it looked very sloppy to the point it was almost dangerous. And, um, you know, that, that was slightly disappointing. So I think when they perhaps devised the match backstage with their producer, they probably laid out quite a good match. But in terms of the execution, it left uh, something to be desired. So the end result, again, uh, wasn't really uh, as great as everyone might have hoped for. Um, and if anyone really thought that was a, a great, great match or um, a match of the year, then um, they're very easily impressed. Um, it really wasn't. It was It was a good match, I thought, but certainly not a great one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we're, we're on the same page with this thing. And, and the thing is too is a lot of people don't realize this and I didn't realize it until I looked it up the other day. Chris Jericho is 45 years old. The man is 45 years old out here doing this. So I give him props for doing that. I give him props for still being as charismatic as he is and for being Chris Jericho. I mean, we all love Chris Jericho, but. Chris Jericho isn't the Ayatollah of rock and roller when he's in the squared circle anymore. He is the Ayatollah of dad bots. That's what he is, and, and that is just not going to get the job done. And I know that there are people who have floated the idea, um, and I myself thought it could be possible, of having a triple threat match at Mania for the Intercontinental title featuring Y2J, Styles, and Kevin Owens because I feel like they're still, and when we get into Raw, we can talk about it a little bit, still kind of teasing something happening between Jericho and Styles because they tag together and that always seems to be the turn. And at the end of this match at Fastlane, Y2J teased the turn before he shook AJ Styles' hand. So I I don't know that I really want to see AJ Styles and Chris Jericho work again. I think it's time for WWE to move on uh, with this, blow it off, and uh, let's get AJ Styles and Kevin Owens together and let's have a moment that we all can enjoy. I absolutely 100% agree. Um, you know, I was really hoping that whatever's been going on between AJ, Jericho and The Miz would end at uh, Fastlane. Um, but as you say, it does look to be carrying on a bit further. But I think it's it's not really good for AJ and his momentum. He came in with a magnificent reaction at the Royal Rumble, um, came across like a real superstar, like a really special act. And um, since then, um, the way he's been booked has certainly not um, set him out as um, a main event caliber worker, um, even though we all know he is. Um, but to the audiences that aren't familiar with him, he doesn't really come across as anything special because um, the the way he's been booked has um, meant he's coming coming across as just another mid-carder. Because bear in mind, Jericho is a part-timer who we only see for three, four months of the year. And The Miz, for the best part of three, four years, has been booked like an undercard comedy act. So those are hardly the kind of dancing partners that AJ needs to get across to the casual audiences as a as a true main event worker. 
Yeah, agreed 100%. Um, a couple of other things that happened very quickly before we get to the main event. There was a, in my opinion, nightmarish segment which took place with Edge and Christian coming back. It was nice to see Edge and Christian, but it's, to me, I, the, the juvenile humor just isn't connecting with me the way it would have 15 years ago for those uh, with the benefit of flash photography. I kind of feel like those moments have passed. They did some shtick with the New Day and uh, with the League of Nations, only further proving that the League of Nations uh, is absolutely irrelevant as a stable. And then we got a match right after that, Mo which is the way this whole show should have been booked. And I'm talking about Curtis Axel versus R-Truth. This match went exactly two minutes and 23 seconds. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, what can you say? Yeah. Um, it was It was a match which nobody probably expected to see on the show, certainly not as a semi-main event. For certainly the, not uh, Curtis show. Axel. Imagine him getting to the arena that morning and he said, hey, Curtis, you're on before the main. <laughs> Absolutely. It was um, there to clearly fill time. Uh, maybe they were running short. I don't know. Um, but it was it was just a match. Um, it was a chance for R-Truth and Goldust, who've been trotting out some god-awful um, skits on Raw and SmackDown, um, to come out there and uh, do their thing. Fortunately, it was a short match. And, um, you know, if it had gone to 10 minutes, then, you know, it may have forced one or two individuals around the world to um, top themselves, but uh, <laughs> luckily, <Myself> um, included. <laughs> luckily, it didn't come to that. So, uh, yeah, let's move All right. on. <laughs> well, here we go. Here we go. The main event, triple threat match to determine the number one contender for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, and the Beast Incarnate, Brock Lesnar. Now, here we go. I got to say, I enjoyed this match. I enjoyed this match up until the finish. These guys beat the hell out of each other. This was getting close to Cena, Rollins, Lesnar level in the triple threat match that they had last year. It didn't get quite there, but it was close. It was violent. It was enjoyable. You had um, Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose teaming up like the old shield, putting Brock Lesnar through two commentary tables, and then burying him in the commentary tables. You had a moment in this match where Brock Lesnar hits Roman Reigns with a German suplex while Roman has Dean on his shoulders. What a beast. What a gorilla of a human being Brock Lesnar has to be to do this. Um, and then we got the big finish, and we got what we've all known was going to happen for months, and that is that Roman Reigns is headed to the main event of WrestleMania. Your thoughts and impressions of this main event? I thought it was a very good match. I thought it was the match of the night. And um, I wasn't as offended by the finish as so many people were online. Uh, I completely understand why people really, really hate the finish, thinking that, look, you know, Brock Lesnar um, has done you know incredible stuff in the match and um, has come back from being powerbombed twice. And yet, on the top of that, we've got, Roman Reigns, who's um, coming out of Kimura and um, all these chair shots and hitting one spear to win the match. And um, I, I completely get that. But um, 
I think whatever the finish would have been, um, the fact that Roman Reigns was the one who's coming out of it victorious um, it, on its own was enough to um, certainly upset and possibly offend a lot of people in any case. So I, I think the WWE was in a no-win position. I mean, clearly the mind was made up amongst the uh, powers that be that it was Roman Reigns who had to um, come out of that as the winner um, because the plan is, has been obvious for um, ever since Ro- uh, Seth Rollins became injured would be for Re- uh, Roman Reigns to um, take on Triple H at uh, WrestleMania um, and we speculated over the last two or three months about whether it would be for the title or not and clearly it is going to be for the title but it was always clear as you said Roman Reigns and Triple H at WrestleMania. Um, so I, I accepted that and I went into the match knowing that that's almost certainly what was going to happen. It happened. But what we saw before then was a really good match. And, um, you know, they did a lot of really cool stuff. And the two power bombs through the table, um, some of the kind of uh, great transitions and all of it, it was, it was really entertaining. And um, certainly the match of the night for me. So I wasn't upset by it at all. Uh, okay, so here we go. It's time for our <laughs> it's time for our letter grades of this show. If you had to give this show a letter grade, what would you give WWE Fastlane? I'm going to give it a B minus. Wow. Wow. Well, there you go. I, I gave this show. I did a live reaction show on your opinion doesn't matter on Sunday night right after this show, and I gave this show an F. Now, here's what I will say. I am willing to reconsider that grade in the same way that a teacher reconsiders a grade after a student fails because that student did extra credit. And that's exactly what Raw did the following night. And so because of that, I'll give the show a D. There you go. So you still thought it was a bad show. I I did not enjoy the show. I found it painful to watch, and I wouldn't have sat through it had I not had to do a recap show afterwards. I felt like there were missed opportunities in the show. I felt like they didn't move along any stories for WrestleMania. Uh, I I just I wasn't emotionally invested in much of anything that was going on, with the exception of the main event of this show. And um, the the ending to it was deflating and disappointing. It wasn't unexpected. And I feel like, in retrospect, what WWE is doing here with Roman Reigns is they're taking a calculated risk. And what I mean by that is this. They know that they have five and a half weeks to figure out what they're going to do with Roman Reigns. They could very well end up turning Roman Reigns heel, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the Raw recap. But they still have time, and they're buying time with that. They had to do something, however, immediately with Brock and Ambrose. And there is more upside and more potential dollars in the future if Ambrose becomes a sympathetic character who perseveres and beats Brock Lesnar at the biggest show of the year. There's more upside to that than there is for them to lose on Roman Reigns if they have to turn him heel because they can't get him over before WrestleMania. And that's the calculated risk I think WWE's taking, and that's why I think ultimately they decided to stick with their guns and put Reigns in the main event. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I do agree in, in one sense in that um, 
you know, it, it was a poor show from a storyline point of view in that it really did nothing to get anyone excited for WrestleMania. I absolutely 100% agree with you about that. Um, my grading is more based on um, the quality of the matches. I thought most of the matches were good, um, albeit two or three of the matches weren't as good as they should have been. Uh, but I, don't, I didn't really think any of the matches were atrocious or bad, with the exception of perhaps um, R-Truth and Curtis Axel, which wasn't really a bad match. It was just um, almost a, a none match. It was so sh- short, um, and it really had no purpose on the show. Uh, but, yeah, uh, in terms of storyline, I can't disagree that um, it really achieved very little and certainly, if anything, got you even less motivated for WrestleMania. So um, in in that regard, um, you're absolutely right. It it killed. It killed any enthusiasm which had remained at that point. Uh, But then WWE said, you know what? Stick with us. We've got something special for you. And boy, did they deliver. Let's move on to the following night. Monday Night Raw emanated from Detroit, Michigan. Vince McMahon comes out brings out Stephanie McMahon to present her with what they had been teasing over the weekend as the Vincent McMahon Excellence Award. I believe the, the, the Excellence or Legacy of Excellence Award or something like that. Do you have the exact thing in front of you, Mo? The I always screw this. Yes, the Vincent J. McMahon uh, Legacy of Excellence Award um, okay. in honor of uh, Vince's uh, father, uh, Vincent James McMahon, who obviously ran um, WWWF um, up until 1982. Fair enough. Yes. So, um, so they have this award. Really nice little little statue they put together there, crystal, I think, or something like that. It looks really nice. Looks really nice. And you know, Stephanie's about to receive this award. I had a sneaking suspicion that this was going to have something to do with moving along a major storyline for WrestleMania, if not Undertaker himself. Uh, and we found out later it did. But um, So they're, they're talking, and then as she's about to accept this award and, and give her prepared speech that she said you know, she was preparing just in case, a theme song hits that I never thought we would hear again in WWE. That place went absolutely crazy. I mean, one of the biggest pops and longest reactions for a returning star in WWE in the company's history. Um, people were going absolutely bananas for this. And it was the first time that we saw Shane McMahon in WWE in nearly seven years. The return of Shane O'Mac. My phone was blowing up. I'm getting text messages from people. All hell's breaking loose on social media. This guy broke the Internet, and it was a thunderous reaction Shane O'Mac arrives, everything changes. He tells Stephanie that he made a deal with his father because his father screwed up some time ago. We don't know what this deal is about. Apparently there's something in a lockbox, and Shane has the key for it. And Shane is demanding control of Monday Night Raw and basically saying that Stephanie is unworthy of the award because, and this is where the shoot material comes in, because her and her husband, Triple H, are running the company into the ground. What were your reactions as you're watching all of this unfold, Mo? I thought it was incredible. Absolutely amazing. Perhaps the best segment on Raw, um, with the exception of the Daniel Bryan retirement ceremony um, of recent years. It was amazing. It was also extremely long. It was 
over 30 minutes, I believe, um, in terms of the um, segment um, prior to the Vince, Vince and um, Stephanie and Shane coming out with uh, the replay of the um, angle between Brock Lesnar and uh, Dean Ambrose that we'll come on to later on. Uh, but the whole thing without a break was over half an hour, um, but it was fantastic, magnificent television. Um, absolutely correct. The uh, reaction was like nothing I've ever seen before, I think. I mean, even when The Rock returned after several years away from the WWE, I don't think even that reaction was as strong and as prolonged as it was for uh, Shane McMahon on Monday night. It was incredible, and um, it, it was so amazing that it almost made me feel emotional. I mean, it was clearly making Shane feel emotional. You could see it in his eyes. And, um, you know, that that's almost one of those moments where you absolutely love the wrestling business when a whole arena comes completely unglued in that way. And um, it was it was a fantastic sight. And um, Shane, to his credit, milked it for all it was worth. And, and so he should. I mean, he's been away um, from the audience for so many years. Um, but clearly they hadn't forgotten about him and um, gave him a fantastic reaction. And the way the whole story played out, was brilliant from beginning to end. Um, it was explained quite clearly. Um, it was um, delivered uh, almost flawlessly by all three of them. And um, it really created some intrigue in terms of um, questions that are uh, doubtless going to be answered in the coming weeks. Well, that's another thing that you know really has been missing is intrigue and okay what's going to happen next and that and that's one of the things that the product has severely been lacking um, not only in recent weeks and months but in fact for several years and um, it was good to see something uh, a storyline um, of that nature um, uh, presented to us um, as the lead uh, segment on Raw excellent yeah yeah absolutely I mean and, that, and, and there were there were some people that um that had a hard time with uh, some of the unanswered questions or how could this thing have, have come about so quickly and all of that. That's one of the things, as you pointed out, Mo, that is missing from the product is it, give us a give us a cliffhanger. Give us a reason to come back. That's what Raw used to do, and that's what they're doing here. So I, I like it and I appreciate it. One other thing I want to say about the reaction that Shane got is, you know, a lot of us talk about wrestling fans sometimes, and sometimes it's not so nice because of things that are said on social media and all that. Let me say something about wrestling fans that's very positive right now and very well-deserved. I feel blessed to have the opportunity to work in this business, even have a small part in it, because of wrestling fans. Because you saw with Shane McMahon on Monday Night Raw just how special wrestling fans are, just how long their memory is, just how appreciative they are of the contributions that you've made to the business. Shane McMahon, by hook or by crook, became one of my favorite WWE superstars of all time. And he did it because he took incredible beatings by Kurt Angle. He did it by taking incredible beatings by his own father, by hitting a coast-to-coast on on X-Pac, by by doing things that you never thought that you would see from the owner's son before. He earned all of our respect and admiration. He became one of the most charismatic figures of the Attitude Era. And then... 
in the blink of an eye, Shane McMahon just sort of disappeared from our television screen. And there's been a lot of conjecture and rumors and speculation about why he left and where did he go afterwards and, and why didn't he come back or would he ever come back again? And the last part about this, which was really special, is that this was a moment that wasn't ruined for us. This was, in my mind, the biggest surprise return or debut of a star on WWE since the invention of the Internet. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was... Um it was something special, that's for sure. And, um, you know, it was really superb because it caught everyone by surprise. Nobody, but nobody, um, speculated about this happening. Um, the only clue that I had read anywhere was about three weeks ago when, um, I think it was Dave Meltzer who said that, um, the Undertaker's opponent is likely to be somebody who's not on the roster, um, which suggested somebody was coming in, um, to take on the Undertaker, um, who obviously isn't wrestling in the WWE at the moment. And I thought it, it would perhaps be Kurt Angle because obviously he's left TNA and, um, you know, he's somebody who'd clearly like to, um, close out his career in the WWE where he first started and made his name. Um, but it wasn't Kurt. It was um, somebody who's wrestled Kurt. It was Shane. And um, it's moments like that that really make you love wrestling when um, you're completely caught off guard and surprised in a very pleasant way. So that was great. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the last point about this uh, really is that I know there are people that are hesitant to accept this because Shane McMahon's 46 years old. Shane McMahon is not an active member of the roster and all of these other things. Sometimes the best part about WrestleMania um, is the fact that it's a spectacle. WrestleMania is the grandest spectacle in entertainment. We have seen the big show fight Floyd Mayweather at WrestleMania. Now I'm not, suggesting that it was good, but I am suggesting that it was a spectacle that sold tickets. And that is precisely what WWE is trying to do here. In that segment to the live crowd, Vince McMahon, when addressing his son, dropped an F-bomb. Now, if you go onto YouTube, WWE has been spending all day today, and I'm sure they'll spend all week trying to remove any videos from the live crowd that pop up where Vince uses the word fuck. But I got to tell you something. There was a, that's not PG chant that started in the crowd right after that, which made me chuckle and made me realize what we're seeing here. I think that slipped from Vince. I don't think it was intentional, but I think it showed us something, something that we don't normally see. And that's Vince kind of panicking a little bit. That's Vince McMahon feeling the pressure just a bit, which is part of the reason why Shane is here now. It's because he knows They've got to do everything they possibly can, including ignoring all of the rules and even their PG rating on this show, at least for the next few weeks, because they have to get people in Cowboys Stadium for WrestleMania, and they have 100,000 tickets to sell. Absolutely. Um, the build-up and momentum for WrestleMania in the last few weeks has been almost non-existent and it really needed to be there. You know, we talked about this um, a few weeks ago that, you know, we're not long away from WrestleMania and yet 
there's no momentum. There's nothing to really be excited about. Uh, we don't even know any of the matches at that point in time is what we talked about. And, um, you know, clearly we, we now know what some of those matches are going to be and they need to do absolutely everything to make people care about those matches and make it come across like really special once in a lifetime type matches because this should be a record-breaking crowd for the WWE and the first that they may be able to legitimately claim to be a 100,000 or more. But that will only be achieved if they put on a show that absolutely everyone is dying to see. And, you know, they've got another five or so weeks to achieve that and they really, really need to work hard and pull out all the stops and as Vince said on the conference call um, the other week, be creative and, you know, they need to be creative with a capital C and in fact every letter has to be a capital uh, because without that, um, you know, it could be a really, really disappointing show and this comes at a time when they really do need WrestleMania to be um, hit out of the park and be a, a home run, that's for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, last point about this before we move on to some of the other things which have happened uh, on, on Monday Night Raw. Plausible scenarios and reasons why The Undertaker would agree to a match like this. Because Vince McMahon says to Shane, all right, listen, Shane, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you want, damn it. You want Raw? You can have Raw. But you have to beat an opponent of my choosing at any time. You have to wrestle and beat him. I name the opponent, and I name the time. Shane McMahon says, all right, I've made a deal with the devil before. What do you got? And Vince McMahon says, you will wrestle The Undertaker. And this time, so you can't take your ball and go home, it'll be inside a hell in a cell. So there's the announcement. The Undertaker will face Shane McMahon inside the hell in a cell at WrestleMania. If Shane wins, he earns control of the company. Now, why would The Undertaker agree to do something like this? From a kayfabe perspective, why would he do that, Mo? Yes, that was the only part about the whole segment that really didn't make a great deal of sense from a storyline perspective in that um, here's The Undertaker, one of the legends of uh, the WWE, and now all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that um, he will be a servant for the authority and if they say that he has to wrestle someone, that he'll do it. Um, so that perhaps is also part of the intrigue that I talked about earlier in that um, is he going to come out next week on Raw with Vince and say, yes, I'll be there to take on Shane and um, almost partner up with Vince in a way that um, perhaps um, Stone Cold Steve Austin did um, some 15 years ago back in 2001. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they explain that. And it's certainly um, an unanswered question, which um, does it outwardly seem to make a great deal of sense. So I'd like to see them explain that and explain it in a way that is believable. Um, but, you know, it, it is worth pointing out, though, that when um, The Undertaker had his recent matches with Brock Lesnar in 2015, um, there were certain subtle signs that um, he was displaying more of his heel side um, with some of the kind of heel tactics he was deploying, such as low blows and things like that. So there was 
that that slight tease that you know he could be slightly turning heel, and certainly if he's out there uh, working on behalf of Vince, then he'd almost certainly have to um, work heel, and it would be very very interesting to see uh, what the outcome of that match is, um, especially with the step stipulation as big as it is uh, with Shane. Um, potentially becoming um, the figurehead for Raw if he emerges victorious. Yeah. So on this on this deal right here, is this desperate or creative? If you have to lean towards one or the other, this booking decision, was it done purely out of desperation or do you love the creativity on this thing? At this moment in time, I'd lean more towards the creativity. I'll give the WWE the benefit of the doubt. Um, the only th- slight point I'll make about it being perhaps desperate is that when they've needed to be creative like they've done in so many times in the past they've looked to the past rather than to the future Um, you could argue that this was the ideal opportunity to put somebody who could become a main eventer potentially into that same position Um, albeit they can't work the same storyline around control of the company the way they can with Shane Um, but certainly they could have had somebody um, working for Shane in that match against The Undertaker where you've got Vincent, Stephanie in one corner and you've got Shane in the other corner and you've got The Undertaker taking on um, one of the younger talents. Um, But clearly um, they didn't want to go in that direction and they felt there was more stock in The Undertaker taking on Shane himself. So let's see how it goes. At this moment in time I'm feeling optimistic and I certainly thought it was a, a knockout segment and um, I hope they um, build on that momentum in the coming weeks on Raw and SmackDown. Oh, I thought it was one of the best segments that I've seen on Monday Night Raw in a very, very long time. Uh, and, and certainly one of the top moments in terms of a return in, uh, in WWE history. I just thought it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's move on and talk about another match, which is now officially materialized for WrestleMania, and that is between Brock Lesnar and Dean Ambrose. Now, earlier in the day, before Monday Night Raw even began, we got footage on WWE.com that was released of Dean Ambrose arriving at the arena in Detroit when he was abruptly attacked by Brock Lesnar in the parking lot, or in the parking garage, rather, which was hilarious, and then um, basically thrown through a windshield of a car. <laughs> I mean, this was hilarious and awesome at the same time. Uh, later on in the night, uh, Brock Lesnar, along with Paul Heyman, come out to the arena. Paul Heyman cuts another uh, top-grade promo, and then Dean Ambrose arrives in an ambulance, uh, driving an ambulance with a neck brace on. One of my friends on social media pointed out to me that uh, none of these talents who have ever stolen an ambulance have ever been arrested for it, by the way. Uh, but nevertheless, Dean Ambrose did drive into the arena in an ambulance, took another beating from Brock Lesnar, took another F5 from Brock Lesnar, but just kept coming and demanded a match with Brock at WrestleMania. And on behalf of his client... Paul Heyman accepted for Brock Lesnar. So here we go. Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose at WrestleMania. What do you think of this, Mo? Well, how do you mention that match to me as a WrestleMania match? 
um, some two months ago, I would have been quite disappointed actually, because at that time, Dean Ambrose really wasn't being pushed, uh, in any strong way. Um, he was a, another guy who was really lost in the shuffle. Um, but since then, the WWE has actually been doing something, um, quite effective with Dean Ambrose and actually, uh, using him productively. Um, he's one of the very few on the roster that actually has been booked reasonably well. And um, the way he's been booked, um, certainly um, at Fastlane, actually have has me now excited about seeing that match. Um, clearly, the way that Brock is um, betraying himself is as somebody who doesn't take his opponent seriously, somebody who um, holds his opponent in contempt, sees him as well below um, Brock, and somebody who he'll be able to beat quite easily. And... Um, that would certainly seem to suggest that there's a very strong possibility that Brock will actually put Dean Ambrose over at WrestleMania. And I would actually love to see that because one of the things I've been very critical about where the WWE and WrestleMania is concerned is the fact they've seldom used that show as an opportunity to elevate um, talents. It's too often been about guys from the past um, and more and more increasingly in the last four or five years is somewhat of a nostalgia show about these dream matches of uh, talents who are well established rather than trying to put um, emerging talents as focal points on the show um, so this is a great golden opportunity um, to really bring Dean Ambrose up to the next level and uh, really solidify him as a main event talent. Um, but for that to happen, he'll have to have a great breakthrough match and uh, win at WrestleMania. And let's see if Brock Lesnar is willing to put him over. Here's a great segue. Uh, you bring up an excellent point. Uh, we're going to get to our other Twitter questions here in just a minute, but this does have something to do with what we're talking about, so I want to bring it up right now. This this question came from Ike at Illini Hockey 3. He said, with how strongly Brock has been booked, how are we supposed to believe that Dean Ambrose even has a chance to beat him? What do you think about that? Because he has been booked so strong. In fact, there hasn't been a time, I believe, in the last few years that Brock Lesnar has lost clean, period, to a pinfall or submission. Well, that's right. Um, you know, part of the reason why Brock comes across as such a special talent is because of the way he's been booked. He's been protected more than any other uh, talent on the roster. And um, the fact that he's also a part-time talent who we are not overexposed to is also what adds to um, his mystique and what adds to um, the unique uh, aura around him. And uh, I think that's all the more reason for him to put over um, other talents on the roster now because um, since he's come in, um, he's only, I, I think, lost to um, John Cena and The Undertaker. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember him losing to anyone else, um, albeit indirectly. Yeah, um, yeah not, not, not directly in a one-on-one -on -one competition, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in both of those cases, he... He got his wins back. And those are two guys that are already well-established main event acts and have been for a long time. Um, so it'd be good for John's, uh, for Brock Lesnar rather to look at some of the younger talents on the roster and perhaps, uh, for the first time, um, put some of the younger talents over in the way that 
numerous uh, veterans did for Brock back in 2002 and 2003 when he was a youngster coming through. And um, it'd be good to see that happen. And I think that the fact that it's been portrayed in that way that here's this monster who doesn't take Dean Ambrose seriously is really um, a great way to present it because um, if they presented Dean as an equal to Brock, um, then that would ruin it straight away. You know, Brock Lesnar has to be protected. He has to be... Um, portrayed as somebody who is, um, you know, the baddest man on the planet. And, uh, you know, it can still be done in that way, and the match can still be booked in a way that protects Brock while still putting over um, Dean Ambrose. And, you know, this is where somebody like Pat Patterson um, is, you know, in his forte, because, um, you know, he, he's the master at booking uh, matches of this nature. And I'm, I'm very confident that he'll... Um, not let us down um, if they decide to put uh, Dean Ambrose over at WrestleMania. But if they decide, actually, no, we're going to stick with um, protecting Brock and putting him over, um, then I'll certainly see it as a missed opportunity. Yeah, I think um, I think this match could very well be the defining moment in Dean Ambrose's career. If mm. he goes over on Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, this is a Steve Austin, Bret Hart, WrestleMania 13 moment. Now, Steve didn't win that match, but the sympathetic reaction that he gained from the crowd pushed him to the moon. And the following year, he won the WWE Championship from Shawn Michaels in the main event of WrestleMania 14. Dean Ambrose has been booked in a way where he almost beat Seth Rollins for the title on multiple occasions. Technically, he did beat him, and then he had that title taken away from him just seconds later. He was one of the last two men standing in the Royal Rumble match this past year with Triple H. It has been one moment after another where Dean Ambrose has been so close to taking the next step and just couldn't. You have a guy that you have been booking for years now to be a monster and virtually undefeatable, a man that a few years ago ended the longest streak in wrestling history by defeating The Undertaker at WrestleMania. If Dean Ambrose defeats Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 32, it will be the biggest moment of his life, and it will instantly make him the top babyface in the company, in my mind. Even if, because we know Roman won't be, because if Roman wins, he's still going to be booed unless they somehow magically get him over <laughs> between now and April 3rd, which I don't see happening. I think if he beats Brock, Dean Ambrose becomes the biggest babyface star in the company. I agree, yeah. I mean, uh, there's perhaps even an argument to say that he's the biggest babyface at this moment in time, given that John Cena's out with injury. Um, of those that are actively on the roster, um, you know, he's he's probably the, the biggest babyface um, in terms of the perception of the fans. The fans seem yeah. to take to him more than anyone else on the roster. Especially the biggest Daniel organic Bryan. star right now, I would say. Oh yeah, certainly. And you know, if the if it had been an audible call in the main event where Vince hearing the reaction said, Okay, look, this Roman Reigns experiment just isn't working. Let's perhaps do something completely off the cuff and mid match say, Okay, Ambrose is going over the roof off of the arena would have come off. It would have been a massive reaction. And um, the excitement for Ambrose versus Triple H uh, would have been 
you know, incredibly strong. And, um, you know, that, that's, um, you know, perhaps, um, not such a bad thing in a way in that, um, if they book it right with, um, the outcome of the world title match, um, they could have Dean Ambrose coming out of the Brock match, um, chasing the title, um, leading into the summer months. And, um, fans could really, for the first time in a long time, get behind a face, um, chasing the main title who they really, really, um, believe in and are strongly and firmly behind. And that hasn't been the case when we've had John Cena as that baby face or even more recently, uh, with, um, Roman Reigns. Yeah. No doubt. All right. So let's move on and talk about the third big piece of what was a pretty wild Monday Night Raw. And that is Roman Reigns and Triple H. The main event of Raw was Roman Reigns scheduled to take on Sheamus along with uh, the League of Nations. This quickly changed when Triple H came out in full Triple H regalia, had the leather jacket on, had the brand new Sledgehammer t-shirt, which I just bought last night, by the way. Very nice gear. Um, he came to the ring and he kicked the shit out of Roman Reigns. He beat the shit out of Roman Reigns on live national television, bashing his face repeatedly into the commentating table while screaming in his ear, why can't you get over he wasn't doing that, but he should have been. Um, just beating the living hell out of this guy. Um, he's bleeding. Michael Cole's actually acknowledging blood on commentary. I swear to God, I was losing my mind. I'm watching this, and I'm like, Cole's acknowledging blood. Um, and then uh, takes a pedigree on the steel steps. And while all this is happening, the guy that they are trying to get over as their babyface star mo. These fans in Detroit are going nuts while he's getting his ass kicked. They are chanting yes. They are chanting for more. They are begging for more. When he gets the pedigree on the steps, they're chanting one more time. They're going absolutely crazy for Triple H killing Reigns. Triple H, who is supposed to be the dastardly heel, is being cheered by everybody. And Roman Reigns is being booed to holy hell. What in the world is going on here? Well, it's the WWE and the fans in this massive, massive uh, matchup almost, this feud, uh, which just doesn't end, does it? Um, and it, it's so ironic, isn't it, that um, I think it was Andy Wales from um, the Anfield Index channel who um, made a very good point that, uh, you know, it's ironic that the WWE in the past has talked about how it listens to its audience. And yet at this moment in time, in fact, for the last, you know, quite a few years, they do anything but listen to their audience in that the audience clearly are not interested in Roman Reigns as a viable, incredible main event act. And they shit all over him at most arenas, um, especially where TV is taped. And, um, you know, we saw that. Fast lane, and we saw that at um, Raw, and we even saw that to an extent at the Royal Rumble. And um, you know, these reactions are not going to change in uh, the matter of six weeks. Uh, no matter what they do, they can try as much as they like. Come WrestleMania, Roman Reigns will be absolutely booed out of the building. You can guarantee it. Um, you know, save for Brock Lesnar 
sorry, um, Triple H coming out there and making completely inappropriate comments, um, which um, would get everyone to boo him, uh, which I don't think they will, given um, their um, kind of corporate uh, obligations as a publicly traded company. Um, I just don't see how in storyline mode they can turn it around this quickly and get fans firmly behind Roman. It seemed like they were nearly there uh, when he actually took Triple H out um, some two, three months ago, and it looked like they may have been turning the corner, but it's gone back to square one, and the fans just don't want to accept uh, Roman Reigns, and there's nothing they can do to change that. And it's, it's their own fault. It's completely their own fault. Do they, at this point, do they tear up the script I, all, all the work that they've done for Roman Reigns at this point, it would seem like WWE is going to just beat this thing to death and they are going to have it play out exactly the way that, that, that they want it to play out, whether the fans accept it or completely reject it. It would be a total embarrassment. And I think everybody can agree with this. If WrestleMania, the largest WrestleMania in history goes off the air to a chorus of booze. So do you, do you tear up the script here? And do you turn Roman Reigns heel now? I think it's so blatantly obvious that they have to turn him heel, um, but the worrying thing is that they won't. And they'll still try and persist with Roman Reigns as um, the PG face of the company um, for um, the time being until John Cena returns. And that's just absolutely balmy and bonkers and crazy because it's so obvious uh, that he's just not being accepted as um, somebody that all the fans want to root for and want to see as their babyface champion. That just isn't the case. And I think it's the right thing to do to turn him heel at WrestleMania to then perhaps lead into a feud with Dean Ambrose before uh, we then see the summer return of Seth Rollins and that would be the ideal thing to lead into SummerSlam where Roman Reigns as the heel champion uh, defends the WWE World Heavyweight title against um, Seth Rollins who is now no longer um, a friend of the authority but somebody who has turned on the authority and it would actually be a great double turn where Roman Reigns is somehow aligned with Triple H and Stephanie and um, the audience would certainly be far more into that than they would be with Roman Reigns coming out of WrestleMania as the babyface champion because it would just be an absolute disaster. Yeah, it would be. So many, so many options though. So many places to go. I mean, it's what makes it compelling and exciting. And it's just incredible how quickly things could have changed, um, from fast lane to, uh, to the night after. Uh, well, we're going to move on to our social media bag this week. Uh, first of all, thank you to everybody for the questions. I mean, it was absolutely crazy what Shane McMahon can do for this show. Uh, I hope he's on Raw next week again. I really do. Um, so I'm going to get to as many questions as we can, and um, and we'll give you our responses. All right, so let's start with Sam McGuire, our old friend Sam McGuire, at Sam McGuire 90 on Twitter. Thanks for your question, Sam. He says, Triple H versus Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose. Do you envision any shocks, or are these obvious ones? And I guess what he means by that is, is this obvious booking. So is it Reigns over? Is it Ambrose over? Is it obvious? What do you think, Mo? 
Um, Reigns, I think. Um, it's, um, yeah, it, it's one of these situations where I think, um, it, it seems so clear that WWE is really stubborn about how they want to go with certain talents. And, um, you know, it, it's just, as we talked about earlier, um, really disappointing to see. And, um, that's why I think, um, you know, they're going to stick to their guns and, um, there won't be the, the kind of surprises. I hope they surprise us, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, to, to be honest, Sam, I'm kind of up in the air on all this. Uh, I, I really don't have a feeling either way on any of these matches yet. Like I said, I think it'd be a good opportunity for WWE, a huge missed opportunity if they don't put Ambrose over on Lesnar. And regarding Roman Reigns, it remains to be seen. WWE reported that he had surgery on his, uh, on his nose or something today because of the attack. I'm sure that's a, that's a work and part of the storyline that they're building. So what do they do with that? Does Roman Reigns come out on television the next week and continue to persevere like Super Cena 2.0? Or does he turn to the crowd and say, you guys were cheering like an angry lynch mob while I was getting my ass kicked and my career almost ended? Uh, you people can go to hell. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're going to have to find out and see. I think they should go in that direction because it makes damn sense to go in that direction because how much more abuse can this guy take from the audience? Um, next question comes from Pratik Gupta at PrattG63. Thanks for your question and for always listening, Pratik. He says, what are they doing with the tag titles? They weren't defended on Fastlane. Pratik is confused. He has no idea. What do you think is going to happen with these tag titles, Mo? Do you see anything shaping up for them? Well, I think there is something shaping up. I just don't like the look of it. Um, that is in the form of the League of Nations, um, potentially wrestling against the New Day at WrestleMania, uh, in terms of which two of the four from the League of Nations take on um, any two of the three from the New Day. Um, that's open for a debate. But um, that certainly seems to be the direction based on what we've seen um, both at Fastlane and the next night on Raw. And that's uh, something that, again, is disappointing because the tag team division is at a point where it really should be more exciting than it really is. And um, given that the New Day is actually a very entertaining act, um, that that makes it all the more disappointing because, um, as we've talked about on the pod on several occasions, the um, NXT roster is brimming full of great tag teams. And on top of that, um, within the main roster itself, you've got teams like the Dudleys and the Usos um, that still can entertain. Um, but we've seen them wrestle against um, the uh, New Day on numerous occasions. And it's not really a match um, against either of those two teams that would excite anyone. Um, so whilst League of Nations is a new act um, that can feud with the New Day, um, all four on the uh, League of Nations um, collective have got absolutely no momentum going for them whatsoever. Um, they're all really, really struggling to stay afloat and um, it would only make the tag team division lose even more momentum um, if that is um, where they're heading for WrestleMania. So, yeah, it, it's certainly not looking good for the time being, but I'm very optimistic that certainly after WrestleMania, when we perhaps see uh, one or two teams from NXT transition onto the main roster, at that point, I'm hoping and expecting things to pick up. Yeah, 
I, I agree 100%. And, and, and it couldn't come soon enough because there's so much talent, as you've pointed out, on that NXT roster in the tag team division. Some of it has to come up eventually. Right now, the tag team division in NXT is not only stronger than the tag team division in WWE, it's considerably stronger. And um, I don't know what we're waiting for with Enzo Amore and Cass. I mean, they should have been up a long time ago. And uh, I, I, I do believe that we will probably see them make their debut on the Raw the night after WrestleMania. I have high hopes for that. So, Amen. <laughs> um, all right. Well, here we go. Here's the question of the day. And this question came in right before we started recording the pod, so I have to give this man props for sending it in because this should be an interesting discussion. This comes from a new listener, Munther Boo Hindi. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Thank you for your question, at Munther Boo Hindi on Twitter. He says, do you think... The Godfather Hall of Fame induction is deserved. He says it kind of feels like on the level of Coco. Beware the Birdman. What do you think, Mo? Here's the big question. The Godfather has been announced as the second member of the 2016 Hall of Fame class, joining Sting in Dallas on Hall of Fame night. Is this deserving? Does the Godfather deserve to go into the WWE Hall of Fame? Hell no, absolutely not. I mean, you're not hopping on the hoe train or the mo train. No, 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 (laughs) absolutely not. It's, um, you know, the Godfather was a great gimmick in certain ways. Um, and we all had fun seeing his entourage come out and roar every week. Um, but come on, I mean, he was a comedy undercard act and, uh, nothing more than that. And if they're giving the Hall of Fame ring um, to somebody like that, then it really, really devalues um, what it means to get into the Hall of Fame. And um, it, it's really disappointing. And I just don't understand it. I really don't. I mean, we have seen, as I talked about earlier, uh, numerous people inducted into the Hall of Fame that um, you could certainly argue uh, were dubious entrance into the Hall of Fame. Um, but... With somebody like the Godfather going in, Charles Wright, um, it, it just takes its credibility as a Hall of Fame even further down. And let me, play, uh, let me play devil's advocate here with you just a little bit, okay? Okay. So is it is it semantics? And what I mean by that is if if WWE said we're going to induct Charles Wright into the Hall of Fame instead, a guy that was the Godfather, Kama Mustafa, Papa Shango. Uh, played a couple of other roles on the independent circuit as well, was in WWE for quite a bit of time, um, you know, was a part of all different storylines over the Attitude Era and reinvented himself considerably. I mean, he was in the Nation of Domination. He was the good father and right to censor. He had all these different things that went on. So if I said Charles Wright, would he be more eligible than the Godfather character, or is this just Charles Wright in general? He's just not good enough. He's just not Hall of Fame material. No, he isn't. No. I mean, if you take Charles Wright, then you're talking about a guy that came into the WWE around 1992 as Papa Shango. And, you know, he had on and off quite a lengthy career with the WWE through till, um, what, 2002, 2003. Um, so he was in there for um, on and off best part of a decade or slightly more than that. And, you know, after that, he made um, one-off appearances every couple of years and always got a great reaction. And he's somebody who's remembered fondly, but, I mean, he was never a top worker. He was never a, 
from from memory, much of a champion. May have held one title once, um, and he was never really a draw. So he, he wasn't really somebody who um, added any great thing to uh, the WWE in the grand scheme of things. Um, he's not remembered with quite the affection that even somebody like Coco Beware is. Um, so I, I just don't really understand it other than perhaps WWE feeling that they need to have um, a diverse um, class of 2016 and felt somebody from a minority group needed to be um, amongst the entrants onto uh, the 2016 class of the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. And that's the only explanation I can come up with, unfortunately. Um, but in terms of his achievements in the wrestling business, either as the Godfather or under all of his other previous gimmicks, um, I certainly don't see it. Wow. Well, I, I will say this much. I mean, JBL and Ron Simmons are very close to this guy. I mean, they, they traveled the road together for a number of years. They're all very close, and I'm sure this is a contributing factor. I also think that this may lay to rest the rumors that JBL was going to be inducted this year since he will be one of the guys inducting the Godfather. So I don't know that he would be inducting someone and then later coming out and giving his own acceptance speech. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. Uh, so there it is. I mean, let us know what you think. You know, you can tweet at the show at any time at PW underscore index on Twitter. That's PW underscore index on Twitter. Is the Godfather or Charles Wright worthy of being in the 2016 Hall of Fame class for WWE? I'll tell you what, though, by that standard, we might have to revisit our thoughts on Dolph Ziggler's eligibility in the future. That opens the door for a lot of people, Mo. Well, it does. Um, in my view, if they are inducting the Godfather into the Hall of Fame, then you can say that pretty much anyone who's had more than two or three years in the WWE could potentially be eligible because um, he really didn't achieve much, I'm afraid to say, in the WWE. I mean, he had one or two cool gimmicks, um, but he never took part in really significant storylines other than that short time where he worked um, a feud with the Ultimate Warrior as Papa Shango, um, so certainly as the Ultimate Fighting Machine when he did his MMA gimmick around 95, uh, did nothing then. Um, certainly as a nation of domination, he was just there in the background. And then when he did his Godfather gimmick, um, you know, it was just a chance uh to um, trot out some um, models from whatever town or city they were running. And, um, yeah, it was entertaining stuff, but, you know, it wasn't really something that I would argue uh, makes a strong case for um, entry into any Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I was uh, pretty surprised by the news, actually. All right, well, listen, we got to get out of here, but before we do, there are some other rumors floating around. As as as, uh, as as former president of the United States, George Bush would say on the Internet, there are some rumors floating around on the Internet. And those rumors pertain to one CM Punk. Every time I turn around, the plot continues to thicken with this guy. What have you been hearing about our old friend Phil Brooks? Well, there's a lot of talk, isn't there? Um, I mean, from what I've been hearing... Um, 
his prospects of making a career in the UFC um, are certainly very remote. He obviously was announced as having been signed by the UFC um, to fight as an active MMA competitor um, well over a year ago now, some 15, 16 months ago. And um, it's well known that since then he's still yet to make his debut. And there was talk about having him make his debut in the coming um, two or three months. And we saw him um, face up against, um, was it Mickey Gall? Mickey um, Gall, yes. Mickey yeah. Gall, who defeated his opponent in 45 seconds, by the way. That's right, and Mickey himself isn't exactly a, a veteran of the uh, mixed martial arts scene. Um, was out there facing up to CM Punk as potentially Punk's first MMA opponent, and indeed UFC opponent. Um, but the word is that he really isn't cut out for mixed martial arts, uh, which isn't a surprise to me. Um, he, he's, I, I've met him, he doesn't come across as somebody who's you know, a really, really tough guy who can... Um, you know, really hanging there in a legitimate competition. And, um, I think he's considered his options and perhaps thought, okay, maybe the grass wasn't all that greener on the other side. And even if I do debut for the UFC, I might only have one or two fights before, um, they cut me loose. And where then do I go? Um, I'm only, you know, in my late thirties still. I've still got a long life ahead of me. And, um, I don't want to be sitting here watching NHL every day. And, uh, you know, that seems to be the way he'll end up if uh, he doesn't end up back in the wrestling business, I'm afraid, because, you know, that that's the one thing that he is truly excellent in. And, you know, we saw that um, both in WWE and in Ring of Honor. Um, he really, really was a great, great talent in the wrestling business. And I think that he's... He's considering um, coming back, and that, that's something I've been hearing. And uh, um, is that what you've been hearing as well, Matt? I, I have been hearing it as well, and it's it's fascinating, Mo, because currently there is still a legal issue which exists between WWE and CM Punk as it regards to the things that he said uh, on Colt Cabana's podcast uh, almost two years ago at this point, and um, CM Punk also finds himself in a situation where a guy that he traveled up and down the roads with named Daniel Bryan, who is 34 years old, just retired himself from um, a series of concussions that he suffered over his career. Punk is much closer to 40 than he is 34. And I think CM Punk is starting to reevaluate whether or not getting in the octagon and being punched in the face by somebody who is intending on concussing you is really a good idea. I also believe that UFC is reevaluating its business agreement that it has with CM Punk. Listen, this guy signed a contract with them almost two years ago. He has yet to fight. He signed an eight-fight deal. After two years, he hasn't committed to one fight. How much longer are we willing to wait? How much longer is UFC willing to wait? And why we matter is very simple, is because UFC signed CM Punk with the prospect of him being a novelty that was going to draw pay-per-view ratings. That novelty has since been watered down considerably, and after Mickey Gall quickly disposed of his opponent, CM Punk had neck surgery. Now, that neck surgery was minor, and he is expected to recover in the next few weeks from it. That neck surgery will impact his ability to train and prepare for a fight against a fighter that I think, without a shadow of a doubt, is going to beat CM Punk and beat him pretty quickly. 
But that next surgery, I don't think would prevent CM Punk from making a return to WWE in the near future. The last point I'll make about this from a legal standpoint is this. It's advantageous for both sides to get out of this thing in one way or another, because otherwise hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees is going to be spent on both sides. CM Punk has been smart with his money, but CM Punk has also spent a considerable amount of money training for UFC. In addition to that, there's not a whole hell of a lot of money pouring in. The WWE checks sure aren't coming in anymore. Is CM Punk willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars more fighting a legal battle and fighting a problem that he himself created with his own mouth on Colt Cabana's podcast? Or would it be more advantageous for both sides to dismiss that and do business together again in the future? Look, when CM Punk left WWE, there was a lot of bad blood. He was fed up and he was burned out. But this is a different time and a different time both for WWE and Punk. If Punk does make a decision in the future that he wants to return to WWE and he's and he's willing to do it in a way that he says, listen, I'm sorry, I burned some bridges over here. I'm ready to do business. I think WWE will forgive him. They've done it with so many other talents in the past. They did it with Stone Cold Steve Austin. They did it with Bret Hart. They've done it with other guys in the past. They may very well do it with CM Punk. Never say never in the wrestling business. If I were to make a bold prediction for the year 2016, I think at some point in this year, we could see CM Punk back in a WWE ring. Oh, yeah, totally agree. Um, you know, people who've had far, far worse falling outs with Vince and the WWE have ended up returning at some point, whether it was two years, three, five, ten years down the line, even longer than that. Uh, you know, Bruno Sammartino being uh, the most notable example. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's more a matter of when rather than if he'll return. And I think from his perspective, the sooner he returns, the better, because as I say, he's really got no future in the UFC as a bucket list thing fine have your fight get knocked out um, and then the UFC can cut him loose um, because whatever intrigue there may have been in seeing him fight um, that will be gone after his first fight and he'll mean nothing in terms of buy rates or ratings after that um, so there will be little purpose for him to stay around so the sooner he gets back into WWE and gets back to doing what he's best at um, the better for all concern and um, you know it would be a convenient way to set or um, his his legal situation as well because um, from what I understand um, he, he's certainly in a difficult position based on certain claims uh, for example the one about um, having to work with a staph infection when I think there's actually video proof that says that, um, that that contradicts what his claims are which certainly makes his case very very um, challenging to uh, be successful and if that's the case he could stand to lose a lot of money um, because he made some comments which um, correct me if I'm wrong because you're the legal expert um, are a class is libelous or s- um, class is slander to well, well yeah I mean if he, if, he, if he says it in word form it's slander if he says it in print it's libel in this case I mean there were some slanderous comments that he did make especially against the doctor he almost he also made some comments uh, in regards to Ryback which Ryback has has never you know taken any legal action over and as far as I know WWE hasn't either really what the the, the legal issue is is between the WWE doctor and the medical staff there and CM Punk regarding comments he made as to how they treated him 
WWE has spent a considerable amount of money and time and effort to get out in front of injury issues, specifically the concussion issue right now, CET and traumatic brain injury. They've done a better job of it in this country than the National Football League has. Um, so they, they need to be applauded for that. Uh, and in this case, they are not going to take comments that CM Punk made like that uh, lying down. They're not going to take it lightly. And they are going to fight back and they will spend money to uphold their reputation. Many people don't know what WWE has done uh, for past talents in the past and in helping them with substance abuse treatment and other issues. They have gone uh, above and beyond the call of duty to try and help past talents and former talents as well. And uh, CM Punk's comments in many respects willfully ignores that history. So WWE is in a better position financially than CM Punk is, obviously, and they will uh, they will play the long game and fight this thing out. And I know from my experience of working in the legal industry, which is the other part of my life, uh, that WWE will inevitably be successful. Uh, so CM Punk is going to have to come to the table and come to a, a cold, hard realization. And that is that sometimes you have to swallow your pride and um, do what's best for business. So with that being said, Mo, a supersized edition of this show. We had so much to cover. Before we adjourn, you have anything you'd like to share with the listeners, any shows that are coming up in the UK, etc.? Um, just one plug for um, a recent New Japan show and one match in particular that fans can track down um, would be a great, great watch. And this was a match between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kenny Omega. And very, very quickly... Um, Omega was chosen as a successor to AJ Styles as the top um, non-native star for, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, AJ Styles had very much been presented as the top uh, foreign star in the company um, until he left the company uh, last month. And um, New Japan decided, okay, let's give Kenny Omega a chance. And, um, you know, since he was... Um, in the company some couple of years ago um, he's always been a, a junior heavyweight mid-carder and he had this great great match um, just a couple of weeks ago against Tanahashi and um, you know if you wonder about are you able to turn um, some member of the roster into an overnight superstar in one night. Well, this match is that example um, because he was in one match um, um, turned around into um, almost like the focal point of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, so effective was that match in terms of the way it was booked and the way in which um, Kenny Omega was presented. And it was absolutely superb and a great example to the WWE um, about how you can get talents over uh, without trying to overcomplicate things and just allowing a wrestling match to tell a story to get people over. Um, it's very simple when it's done right and that's a, a fantastic example of that so Kenny Omega against Hiroshi Tanahashi um, from I think it was the 14th of this month um, New Japan so if you can track it down um, do so because it's a great um, half an hour to um, really enjoy pro wrestling at its best that is a, a, a real shout, man, because um, you I can't agree with you anymore. I've seen it. It's a fantastic match. I've said on this podcast in the past that I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, that I feel like um, uh, 
New Japan Pro Wrestling has done a better job in recent memory of building stars, organic stars within their own company than WWE has. This is the perfect example of that. By the way, I love Kenny Omega because he reminds me a lot of Brian Pillman. Uh, but mm-hmm. in addition to that, he is just a fantastic worker. He has a ton of charisma. And here's another prediction for 2016. He is on WWE's radar, and I would not be surprised if the year closes out without NXT having him on their roster as well. That would be a fantastic addition. He's um, super charismatic, incredibly gifted as a worker, and uh, would be another massive addition to the WWE and NXT um, if he were to sign, that's for sure. Absolutely. Huge, it'd be a huge loss for New Japan, though. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're going to they're try and hang on to him if they can. Uh, well, listen, thank you to everybody for, for tuning in and sticking with us. It's been a long show, I realize it, but we have a lot to cover, and we're on the road to WrestleMania. Next week on the show, Mo and I are going to continue our countdown of the top WrestleMania matches of all time. In addition to that, more updates and everything else. If you want to find out more about what I am doing day to day, week to week, month to month, and year to year, Go to the brand new and refurbished. It's all clean. It's fresh. It looks great. Matsapolsky.com. Also check out realityofwrestling.com. Our newest episode from the brand new World's Gym Arena here in Houston, Texas is available now on our official YouTube page, or you can just Google reality of wrestling, a new beginning, and you will see the entire episode hosted by me and Brad Gilmore. Thanks to Gags as always for the platform and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Pro Wrestling Index right here on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. (laughs) 
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 